Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I argue over horror films and critique them like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our not-so-imaginary friend theme with the 2019 film Daniel Isn't Real. Uh, This one was written and directed by Adam Egypt Mortimer. Uh, and it was based on a book called In This Way I Was Saved by Brian DeLu. And essentially, it's about a guy named Luke, played by Miles Robbins, who had a childhood imaginary friend named Daniel, who, as an adult, is starting to go through some things. And Daniel suddenly shows up again, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, Patrick Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and... Basically, Daniel turns out to be a bit of a dickhead, <laughs> to say the least, and starts causing a whole lot of trouble and murder. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's actually much more complicated than that, but that's the simple way to put it. So uh, before we get into the film, we do have our usual spoiler-free content. So we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers and give you a heads up. But as usual, our releases for this week. So we got a couple here that are worth mentioning. First up is a film called Martyrs Lane, and this is coming, or these are all out by the time you're listening to this, and quick note, apologies that this is so late. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I understand that this was supposed to be up much sooner, and it, look, Labor Day weekend threw us off a bit, we were on yeah. vacation, deepest apologies for that, but <laughs> so, so you'll be listening to this one soon, and we'll be back on our regular schedule with everything shortly, so, <laughs> uh, but anyway. That means that. So, Mar- so these are all up by the time you're listening to this. Uh, first up is Martyr's Lane. This is on Shudder. And this one is essentially kind of like a sort of dark fairy tale-esque ghost story. So it Ooh. it's through the point of eye or it's through the point of view of a of a little girl, and basically there's this little girl who lives at this place out in the woods by a creepy cemetery with her parents and her sister, and she begins or or she meets this little girl who turns out to be a ghost and don't worry that's not really a spoiler i mean i'm pretty (laughs) sure anyone would know that very early in this movie um (laughs) uh, but she turns out to be a ghost and basically she's having playtime with this girl and she keeps coming to her window every night and it just gets more and more sinister as things goes on and to say any more would spoil it although i do find the film to be a little bit not surprising necessarily Mm. like i think you can kind of figure out what's going on in this case (laughs) Uh, but that's not to me really the point of the movie you know it's it's a it's a very moving emotional creepy kind of magical ghost story you know it's not 
it's not perfect it has its flaws but i think anyone that's looking for uh, a haunter that's a little bit different you know just just being told through the eyes of a little girl and kind of seeing a ghost story through her eyes where the ghost isn't necessarily scary at first Mm -hmm. you know because it's kind of like again it's like you know make believe and that kind of stuff and you know how little kids are so so it's it's interesting in that sense Uh, i really enjoyed it again it didn't blow me away but i really liked it uh, so that's one to check out. And then the other is Malignant, James Wan's Malignant, which is now on HBO Max and in theaters. Uh, Chris and I both just watched this, and I had a great time with it. It uh, is so much fun. Uh, the the simple way to put Malignant without any spoilers, it's basically about a woman who had this imaginary friend named Gabriel and when she was a kid and as an adult she begins like kind of seeing these murders that are happening through Gabriel's not necessarily point of view, but she's basically like, you know, having these visions of him killing again. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the scene anymore would be a spoiler, but this movie's a blast. It's for, for those that don't know, uh, Juan is a huge Giallo fan. And while the film itself is not necessarily Giallo, it's very Giallo influenced, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's got, so it's got a ton of fun stuff uh, with it in that regard. It's also very campy. It's kind of like, the way I look at the movie is it's basically like, you know, Juan has developed all this clout between, you know, the the Saw films and The Conjuring and Insidious. I mean, the guy's responsible for not just multiple iconic franchises at this point from 2000s on, mm-hmm. but creating like the whole Conjuring universe, you know, yeah. I mean, like, like the guy... The, <laughs> He's one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in horror right now, you know, and at least doing these major films for theaters and, you know, or, or, and doing these major films for studios. And so it kind of feels like he he's developed this clout. And then with Malignant, he basically just went to them and was like, hey, so you remember when I did Dead Silence, that really fucking weird, <laughs> uh, awesome ghost story? Because I love Dead Silence. It was very underappreciated when it came out. Uh, he's kind of like, hey, you remember when I just went buck wild with that and did whatever I wanted? Yeah, I'm going to do that again. And so Malignant is just super over the top, campy. It gets very comedic at times, but to me in the best possible way. And it's just a whole lot of fun. I think it's got, I think it has one of the most fun third acts in a horror film Absolutely. this year. Absolutely. <laughs> this like, movie is everything Matt and I have been wanting to see the horror community do. Yeah. Where it's scary and it's artistic and it's funny. Yeah, I mean, look, this is what I've been talking about lately is, you know, I, I say this all the time on here. I absolutely adore all of the highbrow horror that we get. I love all of it for the most part, um, you know, and, and I have nothing against film. I have nothing against films like that in the horror genre. I encourage it. Uh, that being said, I do miss the 90s. Yeah. I, I do miss the 80s. I do miss times when most horror was just fun you know and (laughs) and uh and you know we that's there's still a lot of fun horror out there it's just not the predominant form of as of late at least not when we're talking like studio films right and so to to see Juan just come out with this just totally bonkers (laughs) early 2000s late 90s as slasher you know yeah it just god it's a whole lot of fun I really I really had a good time with this movie I can't wait to watch it again (laughs) Uh, but so anyway, so those are your movies out right now. Uh, we also like to do a poll on our Twitter at Killer Critics, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film. Admittedly, I put this up kind of late, so <laughs> some of you might not have been able to get to it before recording this. Between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on Daniel isn't real? I think that it's never seen it. 
Well, you are correct. So, yeah. <laughs> which which is which is very disappointing to me. I'm gonna be honest. So so love it is thirty four point four percent. It's fine is fifteen point six percent. Don't like it was six point three percent, and never seen it was a whopping forty three point eight percent. And and look, I I sort of get it. I mean. The movie's relatively... It's a newborn. You yeah. know, it came out in 2019. It's, it, you know, it's not walking quite yet. But, <laughs> uh, but, but, but people, this movie's amazing. Like, yes. I, I fucking love Daniel Isn't Real. And, it, like, I, I, just think it's a, I just think it's a brilliant movie that captures just the... That just captures really the darkness of mental health and... Mm-hmm. and, and some of the best ways that I've seen in horror in the last few years, you know, like I, I just think this film's incredible. I think Adam Egypt Mortimer blew it out of the water, but we're going to get into my own thoughts in a second <laughs> here. So uh, usually we have comments for these uh, again, since I put it up late, we only have one comment. So thank you at M Sawzall for the comment. Uh, so that's on Twitter at M S A W Z A L L. And they say, it's pretty good. Loved the acting, but there's some plot holes that are hard to look past. <laughs> Yeah, for me with this film, it's all about the acting. You know, Miles Robbins as Luke and Patrick Schwarzenegger out of nowhere. They do such a great job playing these personalities. Um, And that's really what draws you in is how these two actors kind of play off each other and play against each other. Um, And that's, for me, that's this whole movie. Yes, there are definitely plot holes and weird things going on, but watching those two and then the visuals with this film, I think kind of carries you over some of the plot hole stuff. Yeah. So first of all, as far as the acting goes, absolutely. You know, I think that, look, I think Miles Robbins is incredible in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, to to me, if horror got more credit and if this was a larger film, you know, that was more recognized by the players and in, in the in the Oscars and the Academy, <laughs> uh, I I think I think Robbins deserved to be nominated for something. Like yeah. I, I just thought I just think he's absolutely great in this. And and look, Schwarzenegger is great too. I you know watching this, it's just one performance, but I think you could argue like, hey, you know, Schwarzenegger keeps doing films like this. You know, I, I think Patrick has potentially uh, uh, the possibility of being a better actor than his father, you know? Oh, now, I think he's <laughs> leaps and bounds beyond his dad already. Well, look, you know, Ar- Ar- <laughs> see, the thing with Arnold is, look, you can criticize Arnold's acting all you want, but the thing with Arnold is Arnold has a vibe to him, you know? Yes. And, that, and, that's, and that's the biggest thing. With, I mean, look at, look at most actors that you love. You know, a lot of them are kind of like the same person in every movie, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, like I think you could argue like Brad Pitt's kind of one of those, maybe you know, mm-hmm. or 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 Leo DiCaprio to a lesser extent sometimes. Like, you know, they they're kind of the same person a lot, but they have a vibe to them, you know. Yeah. And that's what Arnold is. So like, I don't think Arnold's a bad actor. I no. just think he does a very specific kind of role. <laughs> he knows his niche and he's good at it. Exactly. So, but but I think Patrick has all the potential in the world to to be a very good actor yeah. as time goes on. So. Anyway, um, as far as plot holes, I'll be honest. I I don't, you know, I, I will say to to both you and Sawzall, I don't. There weren't really any to bother me in this movie. So. <laughs> I feel like for me, the plot holes and things I wish were maybe a little bit more explored or explained. It doesn't bother me as much because of the nature of the film, because Mm. we are kind of dealing with with some mental illness and how much of reality is actually real. But that doesn't mean that I don't go like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Well, well, but that but that's the thing with a movie like this, right, is that 
and and you know I, we could be talking about something completely different than what than what Sawzall's referring to you know yeah. like may, maybe there's a legitimate plot hole that I just didn't notice but but to me it, it's a film that's you know yeah it is talking about mental illness uh and, and we are dealing with kind of like a fragmented mind right mm-hmm. this film touches a bit on like things like schizophrenia and that kind of thing too so so to me with those elements in it it's not out of the ordinary that there are gaps in the movie, yeah. you know, or, or things that maybe don't make total sense because to me, that's kind of the point, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, it's kind of supposed to feel off-putting and like, you know, like maybe you don't quite understand because th- why I like that approach for a film like this is it gets you further into the mindset of a character like Luke, mm-hmm. you know, where here, the thing with movies is like, I don't know about the rest of you. I like to feel as much in the role of the main character as possible. I don't I don't like to know more than the characters. Yeah. You know? So like we were just talking about the movie Martyrs Lane. In in the review that I wrote for that, which by the way I always forget to mention, <laughs> you can read my review for that on killhorrorcritic.com. Uh <laughs> my one issue with it is that, you know, you're following this little girl and I personally felt like I was five steps ahead of her through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I and I compared it to like playing a board game with a little kid <laughs> where it's like, you know, you're kind of fascinated by their decisions. And by that, I mean, they're generally awful decisions in playing the board game and their total lack of strategy. Right. Uh-huh. Like you're fascinated by it. But you also start to lose your patience at times because it's like, oh, my God, just make your fucking move already. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I've been I, I, I've been looking at the move that you can make for like 10 straight turns. Just fucking do it already. You know. <laughs> Um, and, and so films like that can be frustrating to me. I don't like to be so far ahead of the characters, right? Mm-hmm. So so a film like this, you know, I like that it's kind of fragmented. I like that it's disorienting and off-putting because I feel it, it makes me feel more in Luke's shoes, more more like I don't understand what's going on just as much as he doesn't understand, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, I'm sure there are legitimate plot holes in this that I just <laughs> didn't notice because I'm just fascinated by all the pretty colors in the score so that's true <laughs> uh but anyway thank you at m Sozzle for the comment really appreciate it uh so again that's the only comment we got this <laughs> week because i put up the poll so late um again my bad so another thing we like to do before we get into spoilers is just talk about the tagline versus the movie and what we think of it overall so i couldn't actually find a legitimate tagline for the film so i just took what was on the poster and in this case that is from the producers of Mandy. <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know if I should really even ask you what you think of the tagline, but what do you think of the movie overall? <laughs> I'm just, just going to skip that tagline. Um, I, I really... You know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm torn with this film. I love the visuals from this. I love, I love the characters and what we see happen with them. But I don't know what it is about this film that makes it so that I can't say that I love it. I mm. like it a lot. I like it a lot. I feel like a lot of people should watch it and check it out because it is so interesting and different. But it just doesn't quite hit that love it category for me. And I think it's because there's a female character named Cassie played by Sasha Lane. And she, for what her role is in the film, she's not in it enough for me. And I think not... Just need to be. It's not about her. <laughs> but isn't it a little bit? No, we're going to argue on this one. So We are. <laughs> we're going to we argue are. on this episode. Um, <laughs> so, so what I'll just really say, or what I'll just say really quick is that First of all, uh, that that non tagline. I'm not going to knock the people who made the poster for Danielism Real, which, by the way, the artwork's incredible for. So it, but cool. uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's a legitimate tagline out there that maybe I just didn't find. I will say though that 
I do believe all films should have a legitimate tagline. I hate it when the selling point for a movie is from the producers of Mandy, you know, and look, this is no knock on Spectre Vision. I love the people at Spectre Vision, uh, but but I do think that I don't give a fuck. No. You know, I like like, you know, I, I just think I just think it sounds pretentious when you're like from the producers of like, I don't care. No. Give me give me a fun tagline to like get me interested in the movie. You know, yeah. like I to me to me, taglines are an art form. I think they should always be included. So that's the brain for a different day, but <laughs> but but as for the film itself, no, I love Daniels and Real. You know, it's I mean, look, I, I'll admit, I I am a person myself who I don't struggle with schizophrenia or you know anything that extreme, uh, but I but I do have you know mental health stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And and I struggle with that. And so watching uh, watching a film like Daniels and Real, it's very, it, it, I don't nec- I don't know if cathartic's really the right word, but it's um it. It, it's that sense of like watching a film that kind of gets you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I feel that way with it. Like I don't have an imaginary friend that's telling me to, you know, like murder people or anything, <laughs> but <laughs> so, so it's not like that real to my life, but, but it cap, it captures that feeling of feeling kind of lost in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and feeling like you kind of don't know who you are, where you are and that sort of stuff. And it's, so, so I think it's very relatable to, you know, people like myself, maybe. But that being said, you know, just aside from the way it relates to it, uh, the film itself, I mean, thematically, it's great. I, I love the visuals. Yeah. Like, Mortimer goes all out with the visual style of this movie. The soundtrack's incredible. Uh, I mean, from the very beginning, when you've got, like, this, you know, like, warping purple spiral and then, like, these really, you know, interesting, like, colorful cloudscape right like it Mm -hmm. just there's just so much visually and auditory in this film that i just love and then yeah the performances are great it's the other thing i like about it too that i'll mention really quick before we get into spoilers is that uh for anyone who's ever seen jacob's ladder this movie has a lot in common with that movie you know so that's uh that's from i want to say 1990 if you've never seen it it's it's a great film if you're listening you've never seen jacob's ladder but it's another one that deals with kind of, you know, mental illness, fragmented type of story, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of the thematics are, or, or a lot of the similarities are very obvious with, with that. And it, Daniel isn't real. For example, in Daniel isn't real, you've got those visions of like the the really frightening, no-faced people, right? Yeah. That, that is directly from Jacob's Ladder. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can tell the film's heavily influenced by that. But... But anyway, the two the two are very much cousins. So if you like Jacob's Ladder, I definitely recommend checking this out. Uh, but that being said, we are going to move into spoiler territory now. So if you haven't seen it, please do go check it out. Uh, I do believe it is on Shutter and Prime, possibly other places. So do your research, check it out. If you have to rent it, I promise you it's worth it. At least definitely. I think so. <laughs> uh, but that being said, let's move into spoiler territory now. So as usual. Uh, who do you want to talk about? I think we've already mentioned pretty much all of our main characters. So, yeah. uh, I think you can guess who I want to talk about. Can I though? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I want to talk about Cassie because I think that Cassie is a very interesting character in this film that isn't necessarily utilized the way that I feel like she could have been. Because look, hey, I love this girl because she is 100% ready to just go toe-to-toe with Daniel. She's like, I will fuck you up. I do not give a shit. Mm. But the reason why I wish that we kind of got a little bit more Cassie in this is this film is, it's Luke's story. 
I'm not trying to detract from that or say that she should play a bigger role than Luke, obviously, because it's his story. Sure. But with Luke's story in this, this is about him dealing with his demons, his dark side, and kind of coming to terms with it. And the way I view Cassie is that she is somebody who is on the other side. She has been where Luke has been. She's struggled with her own demons. And she's learned how to accept the darkness that is in her and find balance. And I feel like we see that with her, with her, like, super aggressive outbreaks sometimes. Like, her just, like, destroying her own artwork. And I kind of wish that we had seen a little bit more interaction between the two of them. Um, just because she is the reason why Luke breaks out of his own mental prison at the end. He hears her voice, and that's what spurns him to actually break out of his prison. And I kind of just wish we'd gotten a little bit more time to kind of set up why that's I, such a triggering thing for him. You I, know? Guess, I guess I just don't know why you need more. Because, like, I, you know. Because I love my women, damn it. <laughs> well, I get that, but to me, to me the film is, is very. To me, the film is very little about Cassie. Yeah. You know, to me, to me, it's not even really about Cassie's importance necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, and more so, so when I view this movie, I, I view Cassie as more of like, more of like a conductor for Luke of like, you know, she, she kind of creates a spark in him for appreciating life more. Yeah. You know, so, so to me, it's not even really that that I think he's like deeply in love with Cassie. I mean, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure he really likes her, right? Yeah. Uh but to me it's not this film is not about the love story between him and Cassie. It's about Luke's uh inability or wants to connect more to the world mm-hmm. and, and not really feeling like he is. So so I get what you're saying maybe and that you want like more of a you want to really like feel their love or something like that. I, like, I, I don't, maybe I, I don't know if you want a more time between them. I'm not really sure. But to me, I just, I don't think that, I don't think that she's as important to the story as that. Like she is important, mm-hmm. but I don't think that she, I, I don't need more screen time with her because I think the film gives me just enough time with them where I sort of get it. Like Luke's not in love with her. But she she brings something out in him, yeah. That that is kind of making him feel alive for like the first time in forever, right? Mm-hmm. And and so so I think I get just enough of that to kind of understand that where I don't really need like I I don't I don't know exactly <laughs> what it is the scene that you feel like is missing, but I don't really need more. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I totally get that. Like I think that this might totally also be like a self projecting type of thing. Um, because like this movie if, had too much dick in it. <laughs> there's not, not there's not enough boobs. Too much dick. <laughs> I mean, that's generally how I feel. Mm. But um, I don't even need more of a love story between them because I don't think that that is necessary. I think to what you were saying earlier that you know a thing that's really nice with Daniel isn't real is the fact that we can all kind of relate to Luke. We can relate to struggling with our own demons, our own hard things, and I think having a little bit more time with Cassie is a nice projection thing because she's that friend who understands what you've been through and that's such an important thing I think for people to have those relationships there's a part of me that's just like I know she's not important to this story in that sense and that would have changed the ending but god damn it but but that's the thing is I I don't know that she does you know I I don't I don't think I don't think she's necessarily does connect directly to what Daniel has been through right like (laughs) Daniel or Luke or well I mean Luke sorry 
you know, I, I don't think that she necessarily does. Like, yeah, I, if, if anything, I think that she's kind of not the opposite. You know, she definitely lives, uh, she definitely lives more of like a, an uh, excluded life, right? You know, mm. like, I mean, she's this artist that obviously spends most of her time being an artist, right? And mm. being quirky and weird and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, there's, there's nothing necessarily in the character that says that she has been in Luke's place and like dealt with that kind of trauma or mental health issues and that kind of stuff. So, so to me, again, it, it's why, like, I don't really need more of her because to me that, that phone call that you're talking about in the end where he can hear her voice mm-hmm. to me, that, that really honestly could have been anybody like that could have been his mom. That could have been uh, you know, a friend of his, like it just, it could have been anybody who melt, who makes him feel more connected to the real world, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I think that's all he really needs in that moment. It helps that, you know, for, for movie value, yeah. <laughs> it helps that there's like a romantic interest in there. Cause we love our love stories. Right. But in terms of like what, what Luke actually needs there, I, he just needs a conduit to bring him back. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he needs, he needs a voice from the outside uh, to to break him out of that mental prison. So I respectfully so, disagree. Well, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I respectfully disagree with your face. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so as far as what I want to talk about, I mean, really quick, it's Daniel, and we're going to talk a lot about Daniel, obviously. But I fucking love Daniel. But so this is where things are a little bit interesting for me. Is and I feel like I've done this a lot lately, and and yes, I will admit, maybe I'm a little too obsessed with finding these themes and films as of late. But there's obviously, if not, if not a love triangle, some kind of triangle going on here, right? You know, you know, Daniel is very uh, jealous, and he really doesn't like uh, Luke spending all this time with Cassie and not as much with him. We're talking about the uh, love relationship between Daniel and Luke. Yes, and cool. and so this is so this is where this is where I think there are kind of some underlying themes with it. Is that you know I. I I don't necessarily want to say that I think that, because uh, this film's very complicated. It's not. It doesn't boil down to one thing for me. But I don't want to necessarily say that I think that there are queer undertones in the film. But I also think that, as I usually say, if you want to find them, they are there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I, so basically, you know, let's just think about it this way. the The first time that adult Daniel shows up to adult Luke is what. You know, he he's just he his mom is about to like hurt herself and they're in the bathroom. And how does Daniel show up but as a naked man in the bathtub? Yeah. Right? There is no reason for him to be nude in the bathtub. He wants to you show know? Luke what he missed. Yes, actually. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, it, it's it's to me it's just not it's no coincidence that Daniel's first appearance is in the fucking bathtub naked, you know, because a second later he's in his normal clothes, like whispering in, in Luke's ear. So there's not, so there's not a reason or an open reason for why that is, you know, unless it's to imply that Daniel is maybe this part of Luke that he has suppressed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is maybe the cause of like why he feels so disconnected from the world you know, and why, you know, is maybe kind of like lonely and excluded from people, you know, uh, and not and not as much of a part of society as maybe he could or wants to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that is because he's maybe suppressed this part of himself, you know, as many people in the queer community are forced to do thanks to a fucking terrible society <laughs> that we live in. And and so, you know, I just wonder if like 
if that's part of where Daniel comes from, and if that's part of what Daniel is, is this part of Luke that he either either doesn't want to admit to or isn't indulging for fear of what that would mean for him, right? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that I do think that Daniel is a multifaceted, you know, being of all the things that Luke is suppressing. Personally, I kind of read Luke more as being bisexual. Yeah, um, no, I'm not yeah. saying he's gay. I, yes, bisexual, definitely. Because yeah. um, he obviously has a, an attraction to Cassie as well. So Yeah, and I think that that is one of the, the very cool things we get in this film is you see it from both sides. Both Luke and Daniel care very deeply for each other and care about, you know, making the other person happy. And then they kind of get trapped in, you know, this dark cycle. But it's one of the things I really appreciate about Patrick Schwarzenegger's acting is he does all these subtle little things throughout the movie, especially in the beginning once, you know, Daniel finally shows up again, that really hints at, like, the deep love that he does hold for Luke. Well, well, look, and I think, I think both characters, too, are, you know, the, I, I hope this doesn't come out the wrong way, but I think, like, for example, you know, there, there are those... There's the concept of, of straightness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where with straight men, you know, you always kind of sense this like there has to be like this ultra macho, like <laughs> everything's about pussy, you know, like it's <laughs> like that's Please don't ever say that again. <laughs> like, like that's kind of that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what Luke's roommate, I think his name's Richard. That that's kind of what Luke's roommate represents to me. Yeah, fuck you know Richard. where where Richard's first line of dialogue is like looking at some girl on Instagram, and he's like, oh, dude, check out this girl. Uh, I don't know if I should fuck her or worship her, you know? Which, by the way, yeah. dude, it's both. It's both. You, yep. you worship and... <laughs> You you worship them while fucking them, all right? Yeah. Like that's how you're supposed to do it. You don't Them's just the <laughs> rules, buddy. Like make them feel like it's <laughs> worth it, you know? Uh, like if you're not considering it worshiping, then you're doing it wrong. So yep. anyway, um, you know, like like he he strikes me as that character who's maybe put in there to kind of represent that, represent that like extreme machoism, right? Yeah. And and what I really love about Luke and Daniel is neither of them kind of prescribes that kind of machoism right no. you know they don't come off that way they come off like i mean look at look at fucking uh daniel's wardrobe for god's sakes like the guy <laughs> I fucking love his wardrobe like like the guy you know the guy does not the guy does not dress ultra masculine you know no. he, he's he, he's he's free-flowing with his outfits he wears whatever the fuck he wants you know he's mm-hmm. very stylish and, and and there is like a, a, a bit of femininity in what he wears you know and that's great like yeah. and it's and so Man i love him a floral print Right. So, so like they're, they're, you know, so I think that that strikes at kind of like how these characters maybe aren't that sort of, you know, typical concept of like straight machismo, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it does kind of strike me as they, they do have some queer sensibilities to them. And so, yeah. so I do think that's part of what's there. Yeah. I feel like that that really lends itself to like Daniel's frustration with Richard being forced to like deal with this straight masculinity all the time. But since we're on the topic of Daniel, I think the big question really is, is where does he come from? And what do you think about the fact that he is held captive in the dollhouse for so long? Well, so I think the, you know, this is where this is where it kind of becomes a like choose your own adventure type thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) In the sense that I think you can read this a lot of different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So so if you want to if you want to read the. If you want to read it as what the film gives you directly, mm-hmm. 
then then Daniel is this traveler that body hops and stays with people, right? And so yeah. so you do have that moment where you've got the kid in the beginning who, you know, goes gun crazy and then, you know, this fucking poor kid Luke just <laughs> happens to walk by and sees this horribly bloody mutilated body of the guy and and then all of a sudden Daniel shows up. And and mm-hmm. so you can you can look at that as Daniel being this traveler that has now picked Luke, right? Yeah. Uh you can look at it as Luke being traumatized and now he has created this imaginary friend out of that trauma, right? Mm-hmm. I, I look at it slightly differently though. And this maybe comes from me being the child of a divorce. Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna be <laughs> fucking depressing this episode like always. Uh is that, not really. Um is that I, I actually think that Daniel's development starts long before that moment. Mm-hmm. I, I think, again, story-wise, I think that, yes, if we're just looking at what the story gives us, absolutely, Daniel is this body opera that comes from that moment. Mm-hmm. But I think if you want to look at the film more thematically, I think Daniel is this thing that has been budding for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at who Luke is as a character, you know, when we first meet him, he's this little boy who clearly has a a very disruptive, uh, broken home life. You know, he's got parents that are fighting all the time. He's got a mom who is clearly kind of maybe losing her mind and is heavily medicated and not taking her medication. And, you know, I mean, the first scene that we see with his family is them fighting her mom, like throwing fucking dishes everywhere, right? And and in that moment, like Daniel's talking to this like little puppet bear, you know? Yeah. And, or, or dog or whatever. And... Maybe it's a cat. Maybe it's a cat. I don't know. Some stuffed <laughs> thing, right? And, and and you get this idea that he's this lonely kid who's probably, you know, who probably feels so uh, so unwelcome at home. Like, it, like it's such an unwelcoming environment mm-hmm. that he's already started to kind of create this alternate reality. He started to create these imaginary friends you know like this this stuffed thing is his best friend you know yeah and so i think that that's already budding and in that sense i think that daniel more so doesn't come from luke's trauma of seeing that body i think it comes from luke's trauma of being in a broken home yeah and you know and that more directly correlates to like his mom and feeling like he's going to end up like her mm-hmm. you know that's not a thought he's having as a kid as a kid he doesn't understand it but i think that that's what goes through his mind the older he gets. And it's not until we see him dealing with his mom and being back home with her mm-hmm. that I think that start that thought starts to click in his mind. Then he starts to realize I might end up like her. I feel like I'm ending up like her. And that's when Daniel shows up. Yeah. You know? So so to me, that's where Daniel comes from. He comes from that broken home. He comes from that childhood that luke never really got to have (laughs) yeah that's the thing for me is i view daniel very much as the representation of every dark thought and feeling that luke just kind of pushes down and doesn't want to deal with like this is a very lonely kid even from the beginning he doesn't really have friends he doesn't really have anyone that he can kind of process everything that he's going through with because he clearly cannot talk to his parents about, like, what he's dealing with. No, nah, he can talk to his mom. She's going to be throwing dishes at him. You know, <laughs> if he can dodge a ball, he can dodge a dish. She says. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think especially, like, you know, in, in that beginning in those childhood scenes, Daniel very much represents, you know, the sides that Luke really doesn't want to deal with, the, the darker impulses that I think a lot of 
kids have. Maybe not to the point of trying to like accidentally murder your mom by putting all of her pills in there. But no, but that's the thing. And, and that's why I think that, you know, I, that's why I think that it goes deeper than Daniel just being some body hopping demon, right? Yes. Is that I, I do really actually see Daniel as being an outlet for Luke, you know, mm-hmm. a, a a legitimate other side of him as opposed to a demon telling him what to do. Because I do think that even if Luke doesn't understand his feelings as a kid, mm-hmm. I do think that he probably has resentment for his mom. Yes, absolutely. You know, because because kids, I mean, look, you know, I, I was old enough when my parents divorced to to kind of understand it and to to hold some anger towards the parent that I thought was responsible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but But as a kid, you know, my sister was younger. And my sister was more uh, was more naive to it, but there were still parts of her that you could kind of tell, like, even if she didn't understand it, there was a feeling yeah. that she felt about it, you know? And so I think that when you're, when you see the scene with Luke, you know, poisoning his mom, mm-hmm. or, or as Daniel says, giving her superpowers, because yeah. <laughs> that's how that works, I, I think that that, you know, he, he, I think that that's just Luke giving him his, himself an excuse for why he's doing this, because I do think that even if he doesn't realize it, he holds resentment towards his mom for probably feeling like, you know, he probably feels that she has broken up their family. And, you know, his dad kind of gets off scot-free. I'm sure his dad had something to do with it. Yeah. But the blame gets put on his mom, you yeah. know? And so I think that that is him taking out that anger in a way that he doesn't really fully understand the consequences of. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think also to that point, you know, Luke very clearly has a very difficult childhood. He's not in an environment that's really going to teach him what are appropriate boundaries because his mom is struggling so much. And so, yeah, for me, Daniel, you know, is that thing that all kids have, these darker, especially going through hard things, these darker feelings that he needs to give voice to. And that's why I think it's really iconic, too, that he gets trapped in the dollhouse. Um, because that's that's Luke ostensibly being told by his mom to put away childish things. He's being forced to lock away not only part of himself, but but his childhood and his his own sense of of needs and boundaries. And he has to lock it up in this childhood house. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And it's you know, and I think that uh, I think that that's a big importance of the film is that uh, to me a lot of this is about locking up your childhood you know and, mm-hmm. and 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 growing up you know just not not growing up as in like coming of age you know like it's like not that kind of movie mm-hmm. but growing up in a sense of like how how so many of us end up feeling from society that we have to grow up yeah you know i won't name my friend <laughs> that i'm gonna reference here but like for example i was just with a friend this weekend right and he had his he'll he'll know this if, I, if you ever <laughs> listen to this but uh, and he had a Zelda shirt on, uh-huh. right? And, you know, keep in mind, like, we're young adults. You know, he I think he's uh, 35. No. Yeah, he's 34 right now. And and he was uncomfortable with the idea of going to a Starbucks <laughs> with the <laughs> Zelda shirt on and having someone recognize it and think that he was, like, geeky and childish or whatever, right? Yeah. That's just the kind of person that friend of mine is, mm-hmm. you know? And... And I look at that as being like kind of sad, you know, yeah. because I think that, look, man, you love Zelda. You fucking go to Starbucks and you wear that Zelda shirt with pride, you know. Exactly. But but growing up the way we have and we're both from the Midwest, you know, which is very heavy on like grow the fuck up. You're not allowed to be childish. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, society in general just it, it puts this pressure on us all to grow up. Yes. You know, look, especially if you're, if you're from the Midwest, like if you're not from the Midwest, let me just tell you this. Chris and I can both attest to this. If you grow up there, your your life goals are not to come out to Hollywood and, or, or the life goals that are supported in general are not to come out to Hollywood and make movies or no. to go be a painter or to be a musician. You know, it's not that if you grow up in Midwest, your the life goals that are put on you by family and friends are. Uh, you grow up, get married, have kids, have a job you hate, and die. <laughs> like, <Yep. that's, laughs> like those are the life goals that are put on you. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. No. But if you don't want those things right away, too bad. Because if you grow up there, you're going to have that pressure for that constantly. Which and is so, why we ran away to L.A. <laughs> exactly. So so, so to me, yes, the you're exactly right. The whole thing with him locking up Daniel, it's not to, it's not to lock up this dangerous part of himself it's not to it's not to lock that up it is to actually suppress his childhood yeah you know to suppress what childhood is for him and and this whole film is speaking to the way that society does put that pressure on us to just grow the fuck up forget about that stuff you know like there's all this talk that luke has between daniel of you know daniel's like you used to be an artist, you know, what happened? Because now, now Luke is, like, starting to be a lawyer because his dad was, right? And, yep. and you can tell that Luke is, like, super fucking depressed because <laughs> this, this is not the life he wants. He doesn't want to be mm-hmm. a lawyer, you know? And, and, and Daniel's, like, trying to play with him, trying to play fight swords. And Luke is like, nah, man, I'm good, you know? Like, I just got a broom. Like, you know, it, it, he feels very, like, just empty yeah. when Daniel first shows up. Well, and I think to that point, too, with being forced to lock Daniel away, who is the expression of not only Luke's darker sides, but Luke's own needs, his own needs and his own wants and what he wants for himself um, means that when Daniel comes back full force as an adult, Luke does not have the skills or the tools to really know how to navigate dealing with like these darker thoughts because he has been forced to put aside his own wants and wishes to take care of his mom who struggles with her own mental illness problems. And and that's weighed on him. Yeah. And and the dollhouse itself is cool. And I'll make this quick. I want to move on. But the dollhouse itself is cool because maybe I saw this wrong, but I initially the dollhouse feels like an alternate version of Luke's childhood home. You know, it like, obviously it gets way more intense than that. It starts <laughs> to become more of like a, a, a castle and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like a fucking labyrinth. But, but at first in certain parts, there, there are places that feel like his childhood home. Yeah. Just like an altered fucked up version of it. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and what I love about this is, you know, a, a lot of writers, they, they, they do fun stuff like that. Like Stephen King in particular likes to, introduce kind of different like settings for the mind you know mm-hmm. uh like dream catcher i think he uses like a giant library or a warehouse and, and he does that in a couple other books too you know where where writers or or people imagine themselves in like these mind warehouses and stuff mm-hmm. uh, so it's just a cool concept i like the idea of like the mind as a place where you store all these different things you know yeah um but as far as like what else this is kind of touching on is you know so so the film also then moves into like okay well if society is pressuring us to grow up and become people like lawyers and whatnot then what is the opposite of that you know and we have this uh we have this conversation about artists and artistry in this field and there's this heavy emphasis on art and photography in particular right Mm -hmm. and so 
you know, that ends up playing into this idea of locking away childhood, I think, because what to me, what what art's always kind of been is it's been having that kind of kid in you that never dies. Yeah. You know? Like I, I think I think a lot of the best artists are are those people that have not completely let that go, you know, mm-hmm. and who still kind of indulge in that childish side. Because uh, that's what the imagination is. Yeah. You know, it's why most of us as kids, we are very imaginative as kids. You know, most of us make up like play things to do by ourselves when we're kids, right? Mm-hmm. And then we grow up and we stop doing that. <laughs> and we sit in front of TV and watch TV and let our minds go to mush, you know, and that's what being an adult <laughs> is because everything is so stressful and you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to zone out in front of this television. So, yep. <laughs> uh, But as a kid, you don't have that. And so, so why I think art plays so heavily into this is for that reason is that it touches on the idea of how, how, how indulging that artistry is indulging in your childish self. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, in, it's indulging that imagination. And, and it feels like, you know, it's interesting because, well, Daniel is the villain of the movie and he represents this inner child. Well, he's the villain. He also, in a small way, kind of strikes me as not as more of like a not an anti-hero but like he strikes me as less of a villain and more of just a, a representation of the anger of that inner child in being suppressed yeah you know so like even though we look at him as a villain in the movie and even though he causes all these terrible things for luke mm-hmm. i think that the idea of what he is isn't necessarily a bad thing yeah you know he's basically like because at first he's good. At first he makes Luke feel more alive. At mm-hmm. first, at first he he is kind of good for Luke in a sense, you know. Like yeah. Luke, like he he does get Luke finds confidence to to talk to these women. Luke finds this happier part of himself, where like he you know he feels like he's enjoying life more for a little bit. When we first meet him, you know he's sitting on the edge of this building, kind of like with this attitude of maybe he doesn't really care if he falls off the building, right? Yeah. And and as time goes on in the movie, he's having fun. He's having a good time, you know? And and it's only when Luke begins to try to suppress Daniel again that is when Daniel is like, that's it, motherfucker, yeah. you know? <laughs> Fuck you, I'm not going back in that house. So so to me, to me, all of the villainy that comes out of Daniel mm-hmm. thematically is more like is more like that inner child just being like, you know what, man? I'm fucking sick of this adult <laughs> shit. You are going to listen to me. You are going to indulge in me or I'm going to wreck your shit, you know? Uh, well, and I think Daniel has a very good line in reference to that where when he's talking with Luke, he says, you know, I'm here because you're here. I'm a part of you. And then he also has a line of, you're not insane. You're just awake. And I think that's really speaking towards what we're talking about with Daniel being the inner child, the repressed feelings. Having Daniel be a part of Luke's life again means that Luke is awake. Yeah. Um. I do think that Luke's choice of art that he engages in in the photography also speaks volumes to who Luke is as a person. Because photography is a very interesting art style because mm. it's almost non-participatory. Yeah, right? it, yeah, it's voyeuristic. Yeah, and I think that's very true to Luke and where he still is as a person throughout this film, 
where he wants to engage in the world, but he doesn't really know how to do anything other than try to reflect the world back to itself. It's an outsider perspective, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's a really like insightful choice for what artwork, as opposed to Cassie, who, again, I very much feel like Cassie is on the other side. She's dealt mm-hmm. with her demons. She's found balance. And so she does actual artwork where she views the world, she interacts with it, and then she shows the world what she sees. That's why she's able to capture Daniel. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think that she's on the other side, and I wish they had more time. Um, no, no, but I definitely agree with you. The, their their art forms do uh, crash in that sense, right? Yeah. Like, they, they are opposites. Mm-hmm. Because, because yes, Dan, Daniel is viewing the world from an outside perspective. He's detached from it. Uh, I keep saying Daniel. Luke. They're the same, per- <laughs> they're the same person. It's fine. It's fine, everybody. Um, but, but, yes, he's detached from it. Whereas, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Cassie is... You know her her art style with with painting everything. It's it's it is interacting with the world. Yeah, it is creating something. You know, it's it's making a part of the world, right? Yeah. So one last thing I want to say before we move on with this is that you know, for those who are maybe still not kind of buying the like inner child sort of thing, one thing I want to add is you know also consider this. So not even just looking at you know sort of like the kind of queer undertones that I think are there. Also look at the fact that. The other times that Luke is initially kind of freaking out or seeing images of Daniel come in adult situations, you know? So, like, before before adult Daniel, like, shows up to Luke, Luke has that panic attack where he sees all the fucking demon faces, right? Yep. And why does that occur? Because he sees a girl across the party who he starts to approach and this... And, and he freaks out, basically, you know? Yeah. So it's almost kind of like this fear of growing up. And, mm-hmm. and it's, only, it's only as things start to become more and more adult, you know, more, more intimate with women, more, um, more sophisticated, like more, <laughs> just more, more like getting into that kind of thing. Yeah. The more that Luke seems to kind of be losing it, yeah. you know? And so, so, again, I just think that all kind of ties back to this, idea of like the fear of growing up uh that suppression of your inner child and and kind of what happens when those things sort of crash together yeah you know no i definitely agree with you on that that's why i think it's i'm curious what your thoughts are on the influence that the parents have on this story since i feel like luke lost his childhood to his mom yeah i mean as far as the parents influence it look we don't really know much about Cassie's and and again I like that I know that you're very much like tell me everything but I like I, <laughs> backstories and I won't apologize for no, it no <laughs> no you want Adam Egypt Mortimer to sit there with a spoonful of movie mush and like feed it into your mouth <laughs> look if if he wants to get coffee with me and tell me all about Cassie I'm not gonna say no to that well of course not yeah but no I'm, I'm talking about like making the movie you're Never mind. You get what I'm saying. Like, yes, I do. <laughs> you want you want to be fed the movie mush, <laughs> or whereas whereas I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm not that brain dead. I just like backstory. No, it's, not, it's not about being brain dead. I'm just saying, like, look, some people, some movie people, mush. Some people engage with movies where they they don't want to, you know, have to think that much about everything. And <laughs> I want the lore. God damn it. <laughs> Fair. So anyway, look the the thing with. The thing with Cassie and her dad is, like, you don't really get that much of a sense of what the relationship was, but I, I can ultimately kind of tell it was probably positive because, or or if not... I, th- I think it definitely was positive, but a little bit sad just based on the fact that they say that the painting has a melancholy air to it. Yeah, well, it's probably, he's probably passed on is, oh, the, yeah. is the idea that I get from it, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think that she had a positive impact 
from her dad, and there is a melancholic sense to it because she probably misses him. Yeah. You know, and, and it's why, like, when you look at Cassie's artwork, to me, that it, it's the most, you know, it's a very nice painting, but it's the most natural, plain, whatever you want to call it, because, because it, it's just, you know, it's Cassie just reflecting on a very personal thing of hers. It's yeah. not necessarily... Uh, it's not necessarily going all out and kooky with her art. It's just, you it's know. It's a very personal piece. It's just painting an image of the way she remembers her dad, right? Mm-hmm. And so so I get the sense that he had that positive impact on her. And who knows? Maybe he encouraged her inner child. Maybe he encouraged her artwork. Maybe, you know, we don't really know what his impact was. Mm-hmm. But we do know that Luke had the opposite. <laughs> Luke's, Poor you, Luke. know, you know, Luke's mom initially, you know, let him initially encouraged Daniel but she was frustrated by it mm-hmm. but she let it happen but she was ultimately the one and granted for a good reason but yeah, she was he like, did try to kill her yeah but so it's not necessarily <laughs> her fault but but she did ultimately was the one to convince him to lock that part of himself away yeah you know and so i think that again in that sense Cassie and Luke have very different uh perspectives or or very different influences from their parents mm-hmm. you know where Cassie seems to have been uh, a more healthy influence, uh, a more supportive influence on who she was and who she could be. Mm-hmm. Whereas Luke was kind of, you know, he got that more kind of typical societal pressure of like, no, you get rid of the things that make you different. Yeah. And you be as fucking plain Jane, <laughs> go to law school, businessman type of dude that you can be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... That is kind of the tragedy of of Luke and his relationship with his mom, because you can see that he does really love his mom. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. You oh. know, like she she matters to him. It's yeah. just that you know, it's that. I mean, it, look, it's that thing with it's that thing with family. Like you know, a lot of us love family, but it doesn't mean we have to like them. Yeah. <laughs> but they still matter to us, even if they if you even if you don't like the person. <laughs> yeah, and it it's a difficult thing with it, where like. I do believe that Luke's mom, for the most part, tried to do the best that she could do, given the situation, and just, for some reason, was not aware of the strains and the constraints that she was putting on her son, and how she kind of got into her head. Because Luke is interesting because he's got a mom who really doesn't trust doctors or anything like that and luke recognizes that that's not the most healthy way luke has a therapist Mm. he's going to see somebody he's trying to take steps that he watched his mom not do and it is really kind of tragic that i do think some of his mom's influence really got into his head where even though he was trying to take the steps to take care of himself he wasn't given the tools to properly deal with Daniel. You know, it's interesting because, like, this is this is where things get a little confuddled. Yeah, <laughs> this is where this is where things get a little misty because it's it. This is the part where you know I I would have to take more time with the movie to like really kind of figure out what it's trying to say here. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's cause it's a little mixed messaging because you've you've got you've got the mother basically kind of giving him two sides of the same coin where it's like. In one instance, she's telling him, help doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't say that to him, but that's the words that he hears from her to her, to her dad, right? Yeah. Or to his dad. And and she's saying, help doesn't help, you know? And that that's the very first line that we hear out of her for Luke. And so, you know, you just get the idea that that's probably a mindset that Luke's grown up with. You know, yeah. Luke, Luke has maybe grown up with this idea of, like, he can't be helped. There's no such thing as helping with mm-hmm. that. And, and it's why I think, you know, as we get into talking about the ending here, it's why I think that... You know, he kind of ultimately 
doesn't make it because that's kind of his mindset of like, I can't be helped. Yeah. You know, there's nothing to do for me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, his mom's also giving him positive advice, which is you have to love yourself. Mm-hmm. She just randomly says it. It's obviously meaningful to the movie. She's not just saying it to say it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and this is the other part of the movie that it's talking about is like, you know, yes, yes, Daniel maybe reflects his childhood. Yes, he kind of represents schizophrenia in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he even represents, um, you know, addiction, drug addiction, and like how those things kind of destroy you. There's all kind of there's all kind of ways to interpret Daniel. But one other concept, or, or one other way to look at it, which I think is maybe the most obvious one too, is that, you know, da- Daniel ultimately is that darkness. He is yeah. that. He. This is a movie about mental health and suicide, right? Yep. And and so it's very interesting that his mom randomly has that line of like, you have to love yourself because mm-hmm. it's out of nowhere. And it seems like it's almost like she's reading into the future uh, of, she can almost maybe sense that like Luke is going through this. Right. And she's just telling him like, you got to love yourself. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's really the most important advice. I think that, that a lot of people who deal with these things need to hear or, or need to do is like, look, you know, it, it is, it's difficult to like, yeah. you know, it's difficult to break out of that if you don't, like yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you don't love yourself right so so it's just I, it's it's just where it becomes a little mixed because his mom has this horrible influence on him where she seems to have put in his mind that he can't help himself but then she's also trying to like break that too at certain random times so <laughs> i i think that's the realistic nature that parents and kids go through as kids get older is that look our parents do the best that they can they really do they try for the most part but they either intentionally or unintentionally they scar us we're left with scars of growing up and i think as as we get older once our parents start seeing those scars sometimes they can bring us back from it sometimes like with luke and his mom she sees that when it's too late for luke well well well, the doctor message becomes mixed too because Mm -hmm. you know in a sense because that's another one you can kind of look at it both ways where it's like you know in a sense you can look at it as uh yes doctors do help and that ultimately would have helped if maybe his mom had you know continued (laughs) with her medication and not just had this mindset of like help doesn't help you know like that that's just stupid phrase to me help doesn't help you know Mm -hmm. i get where it comes from it comes from this place of like ultimate despair where you just think there is no coming back from it but but it's not realistic help does help yeah to say that help doesn't help is the wrong mindset so so there's almost like this anti-doctor kind of message at first mm-hmm. because his mom is saying something like that. The doctor, or, or Luke's doctor, uh, Dr. Braun, telling him to indulge Daniel mm-hmm. ultimately sets off <laughs> all of the horror of the movie. You yeah. know, so, so you could kind of look at that as like, oh, maybe that was a bad choice, but... <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, and, and, you know, the doctor's also like the only person to die from (laughs) (laughs) from daniel so so there's a little bit of a of an anti-doctor theme but at the same time you know there's also an understanding it feels like in the movie that 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 kind of help does or or should help you know yeah uh and and it's the wrong message to say that help doesn't help because it does like I, i would encourage everybody to not feel 
like they can't seek out help, right? <laughs> well, and that's the thing is I feel like the doctor is trying to give Luke good advice in the sessions. He just, I think that it, it also, there's so much duality in this movie where, you know, you do need to go and see people for help. The mother is so much better when she's in the institution, when she's getting regular help. Um, yeah. But there also is a trust that goes both ways with doctors and patients that I think the real problem that we had between Luke's doctor and Luke is the fact that the doctor didn't really want to take what Luke was saying as seriously as he should have. And, you know, that that does happen in the medical profession. Oh, sometimes. no, I know that happens. Yeah. I, I'm just I'm just trying to think. I don't know that that's necessarily the way he approaches it in the movie. I mean, look, uh, d- does he think that Daniel's a, a real like demon that's haunting Luke? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. But but I do think that he indulges it enough where he doesn't like, I don't think he ever says anything that would make Daniel feel like Daniel's crazy or, or that, damn it, I keep messing <laughs> him up. I don't, I don't think he says anything that would make Luke feel like Luke's crazy. I think he, I think he indulges it enough to, to make him feel like he's at least appreciating what he's saying, you know? Yeah. So. I do think that he's trying to make sure that Luke feels hard. Like he's not, he's not like the fucking doctors and all the people from, he's, from what we watched last week with Z, you know, yeah. is that like that movie is a total... Like, society treats mental health people like shit, right? Oh, so. absolutely. And at least he's not Dr. Loomis. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah. No t- <laughs> not not to knock Dr. Loomis, but... Oh, look, I absolutely would. He's a shit doctor and his license oh, should be revoked. Oh, no. Look, people. Dr. Loomis is the worst doctor the worst in horror doctor. movie history. Yep. <laughs> like, some of you may disagree with that. But he is the worst doctor in horror movie history. If you that, don't believe us, go back and listen to our Halloween episode. I'm pretty sure we talk all about that's that. That's even putting him after Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Dr. Hannibal Lecter helps his patients more than Loomis does. He, he actually does. Yes. You know? <laughs> does he help encourage them to murder more? Maybe. Maybe. But, he, but he's, still, he's still helps. He's still helping. Um, he's, still, he's still indulging them. Anyway, so uh, we do have to start wrapping this up. So what are your thoughts on the ending of the movie? Just overall, like, what, what do you think this is all about or trying to say or what do you think's happening here what's your thoughts uh my thought is this ending is so tragic it It, sure is it's (laughs) such a tragic ending and i think that like having an ending like this it definitely hurts it hurts watching somebody who this entire movie has been trying to find themselves and fight and break out and ultimately lose that battle because that's what happens. Luke loses the fight. But he goes out on his own terms, weirdly. Like, mm. it's it's a weird, like, mixed thing where, like, I, I find it so sad to watch Luke basically feel overwhelmed by everything. Lock himself away, which he does. He locks himself away and lets Daniel take the reins. Yeah. And ultimately decide, no, this isn't how I want to go. This isn't how I want to live my life and fight this final battle. And so so I look at it like this, yeah. right, is that is I, I think I, I hope this isn't what people take away from it. The movie, the movie to me is not it's not encouraging <laughs> any of that. It's not encouraging what happens. No. Well, to, to me, like, like, look, don't don't ignore you know, ignore Luke's smile on his face in the end and everything. That's not what the movie's trying to say. To to me, what what this is really about is like, it, it's t- to me, it's kind of focusing on on perhaps why some troubled people take this next step, mm-hmm. you know, or, or take that step is because at a certain point, the pressure of society perhaps becomes too great. Yeah. You know, the the pressure of that, the the misunderstanding. It all becomes overwhelming. And so to me, that that smile on Luke's face in the end, 
it's not necessarily supposed to be like a happy smile. Mm-hmm. To me, it's more just like a I'm I'm getting out of this. You know, I'm getting away from all this. Yeah. Right. Like I like it's just it's 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 a it's a release, but I don't think it's supposed to be happy. No. You know? And so I so the way I look at that ending is it's like, yeah, he he goes on. It's he goes on. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. It, he does do it on his own terms. It, it does make him look happy. But the ultimate feeling of isn't of it isn't supposed to be that you're supposed to root for that it's supposed it's supposed to be that look this is the feeling that a lot of these people end up going through Mm -hmm. you know is that 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 i i think it's trying to convey the feeling of perhaps why people do that and why for them it is an escape or a sense of release you know yeah so like you're not supposed to root for that but but the film's trying to make you understand that's why maybe some of these people ultimately feel that way because when you watch Luke through this entire film, you know, I think I think it's I think it's a great choice to make Daniel this imaginary friend because it, it speaks directly, I think, to mental health as an issue mm-hmm. where it's like, how do most people treat it? They treat it as this imaginary make believe thing. Yeah. You know, like they don't they don't take it seriously the same way that you know, no one's really going to take their kids' imaginary friends seriously, right? And and so and so you watch Luke for this whole movie, and people either aren't listening to him, or mm-hmm. they're or they think it's all in his head, or they think that, or you know, the very title of the film itself is kind of like to me. You could just replace Daniel with mental health isn't real or something, <laughs> yeah. You know, as like an outlook of society, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how society views it. It feels like sometimes. Um, and, and there's all that going on. And then you have people going as far as like, treat him like a monster, like the girl that pepper sprays him. Right. You know, she would sooner pepper spray him than like understand that he's a troubled person and needs help, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's what all of that's leading to. So yeah, he, so he doesn't win, Mm -hmm. but for, in his mind, he's winning in a sense I I want to say this right. It's not. Yeah. It's not that he doesn't win in the end. I'm just going back to what you said about him yeah. going out on his own terms. He's not winning, but ultimately, again, I think that's the feeling of those in that situation is that at a certain point they they want to go out on their own terms because of the damage and the misunderstanding that society's put on them. You know yeah. what I mean? So so it's almost like a win in that sense, but it's not supposed to be. Yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> It does. Look, at the end of the day, Daniel Isn't Real is a horror film. The hor- yeah. horrifying reality is that not everybody wins their battle. Not everybody can come back. And some people just get overwhelmed so much in their own darkness. And the way that I view that very end thing is that does da- does Luke want to be committing suicide? Does he want to die? No, no. he doesn't. No, that, that's the purpose yeah. of, of the whole middle of the movie before mm-hmm. things go bad. Is that in the time when he's able to indulge Daniel and it's not causing problems for him, Mm -hmm. it's the happiest you see him in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I would even go to like one of our very last moments with Luke, which is the parachute. It's he's falling over, he's smiling, and he's doing the parachute that he did as a kid. And I think that's a reminder that Luke is still innocent in all this. He wants to be saved. He doesn't really want to be doing this, but... He doesn't feel like he can control Daniel and his own darkness. And this is the only way that he feels 
Yeah. Like he can do stuff. And it's so sad and tragic. Well, well it's so sad and tragic. And so I'll add this last thing that I just think is cool, although it's also kind of sad in a sense, but <laughs> is that, uh, is that I, the way that I interpret the very last couple shots of the movie is you have, you have Cassie like come and come down and sit next to Luke. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, he's, very clearly dead. Yep, and <laughs> that boy is dead. Otherwise, that is a lot of blood to bleed and not die. <laughs> I know women do this every month, but it's not <laughs> But I don't think he's coming back from that. Um <laughs> But <laughs> Head wound and but, vagina wound are two different things. Yes, they are. Um <laughs> but 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 she's sitting down next to him and then you have this image of of Daniel as his demon self and his fucking you know ultra demon castle and his mm-hmm. extra demon castle i should say and he leaps off right yeah to me that is implying that daniel is now about to take over cassie because <laughs> because she has now experienced this trauma and mm-hmm. he he seems to be this demon that you know trauma hops yeah. basically and tries to find creatives yeah <laughs> That he, that he can indulge with so good so, fucking luck cassie's gonna beat your ass she did it once she's gonna do it again probably <laughs> but but to me that's the kind of cool but dark ending to it is i i do think that that's implying that daniel's about to hop into <laughs> cassie <laughs> and become her imaginary friend uh, who knows maybe he'll show up as luke i don't know maybe <laughs> but all right so we gotta start wrapping up we're already going over time here so who is your killer idiot of <laughs> daniel isn't real <laughs> I am... We'll take this very serious conversation and now talk about stupid people. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm gonna go with I'm sorry, I'm going with the doctor. With the this. doctor. The doctor. <laughs> Why is it the doctor? <laughs> Look, honestly, it's a thing for me that it's just like Luke is is so clearly struggling. He just like beat a kid, um, and pressed his face up against a hot pipe. And is clearly having an unstable moment. And the doctor's like, you know what's a good idea? What if I put this kid under hypnosis, bring out the more aggressive personality, and make sure there's a knife in the room? That seems like a good idea right now. Hey, look. Everybody has knives in their rooms, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has a knife in every room of the household. (laughs) You don't give someone like Daniel access to a giant fucking knife. I think that's my only reason. The the doctor's trying to do some different things with Luke, and I applaud him for that. But it's still, you're dealing with a patient who is is having moments. Maybe don't have a giant fucking ceremonial knife, because he might stab you with it. And then he does. You might. Uh, so my killer idiot's go to, gonna go to Richard, because fuck that guy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Richard's the worst. Again, I want to save one last time for the men listening who don't understand this concept. Richard has the line, do I fuck her or worship her? I don't know what to do. The answer is both. Always <laughs> you both. Wor- you worship them while fucking them. Yes. <laughs> you make them feel worshipped. Otherwise, it is terrible for them. But this is why Richard gets an eye roll from the girl who is going to fuck him, because she knows that it's going to be nothing. He's got a tiny dick, and he doesn't yeah, know how no, to use the, it. The dude has major tiny dick energy, right? Yeah. Like, any, any, any dude who sit look... I knew dudes like this in college too, right? Any dude who's sitting around where where a couple of women just walk in the apartment and he's immediately like, "Yeah, yeah, the the apocalypse, man! Like we all just gotta fuck before the apocalypse happens, right? Just one last fuck, like." It's like, dude, shut the fuck, fuck you, tiny dick. Like, exactly. <laughs> Not only tiny, but also doesn't know how to use it. Because you can have any size. As long as you know how to use it, you're fine. But well, not, Richard... well, not any size, okay? Okay. Not any size. 
But most, most, but most you just you just need to know how to use it. That's the some sizes part. are just they're just gonna tickle people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but that being said, you know, no shame in dick size. No, no shame. Nope, not shaming. No, no dick shaming. <laughs> um, only if you don't know how to use it. So, what about your killer death of Daniels and Real? We only have one death. I'm not. There's gonna, multiple deaths. I'm not gonna say Luke. Okay. So all we have is is the doctor who gets stabbed a shit ton of times. Oh, fuck it. He doesn't die, but Richard getting his ass kicked. That's pretty great. All right. Uh, I'm, I am going to say the doctor, but it's not because of the doctor's death itself. It's because I love that whole fucking scene. <laughs> oh, you mean when Daniel literally like cracks Luke's mouth open and crawls inside him? Oh, yeah. I, I've seen this movie multiple times now, and my eyes still get like, holy shit wide. You know, yeah. like like every time I watch that scene, I'm just like, fuck, that's amazing. Because, you know, to me, that that scene is the perfect example of why I, why I totally understand filmmakers who don't use practical effects as often as they can. Because I, I get it. Like, you know, it's... A lot of shit can go wrong on set. It can really fuck you up, you know. Mm-hmm. And and well, I'm not going to sit here and say that digital effects are easy because they're fucking not, you no, know. They're not. Um, but but I I get I get the I get the reasoning for on set time and schedule, right? Yeah. Um. That being said, practical effects to me will always look better and will always age better, no matter how poorly they're done. I think the worst practical effects often look better than the best CGI. <laughs> <laughs> And and so when I watch this scene, I'm I just fucking adore that practical effect of like Luke's mouth being stretched super wide open and just it looks horrifying and and just so unnatural and queasy and like it's just I love that scene. <laughs> I just love the fact that Daniel has multiple ways of like it feels like taking over Luke's consciousness. And I feel like he specifically does this one to fuck with the doctor. Yeah, like, probably. Oh, you called me? Watch something horrifying. I'm about to climb into this boy through his mouth. Indeed. Uh, so what about your killer MVP of Daniel's and Real? Uh, for me, that goes to Patrick Schwarzenegger for Daniel. Patrick, okay. Yeah, yeah. look, I I think all of our, our key actors do a really fantastic job, but I think that, that Patrick has potentially one of the more difficult roles because I think that Daniel is such a nuanced character. He does have to represent so many different sides to Luke, um, like the innocence and the childishness, um, sure. the the queer side, the dark side, you know, all of these different things. And I think that Patrick does such a good job with all these little nuanced expressions because he doesn't get a whole bunch of lines. A lot of the times it's just him reacting in the background to mm. what's being said. And I think that he handles all of that so well and I think that's so much more difficult to potentially do than if you just have lines that you get to say not and this is not to uh, like no, 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 agree. take shot cheap uh, shots no no well no cheap shots no uh, but everyone's amazing yeah no I agree I, I I will say though that I think Miles Robbins has the better performance in this like I just I just think Robbins is not my MVP but I will mm-hmm. say that like I just think that the 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 various emotion emotional peaks that he's able to go to feel very real and very moving so like he, he, he is my I, I think he they both give great performances yeah. but I but I would put Robbins just a touch above Schwarzenegger 
Personally, I feel like he does a fantastic job with it, but his is more laid out of what he needs to do. Ah, fair enough. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> look, I love so, my boy Patrick, and I'll defend him. Oh no, he's great. I'm not knocking him. Um, so my my killer MVP. Look, I I thought that Patrick and 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 Miles were kind of obvious choices because like they, all right <laughs> fuck you too because they're love like, you no no, no I, I don't mean obvious as in like man you're so stupid for picking that i just mean like, fucking basic bitch fucking basic bitch uh, no i just i just mean that like they're they're so great that that like clearly yes they are definitely the mvps in the movie mm-hmm. um so i wanted to i wanted to dig a little bit deeper and find someone else so uh i actually ended up going with the editor brett w backman and the reason being is that Look, editing is this is this role that never really gets that much attention uh, when anybody talks about movies. I mean, I read, I read so far. Look, I do it myself. I read so <laughs> few reviews, including the ones that I write myself, that that don't pay enough attention or give enough credit to the editing. <laughs> and and I think that uh, I think that Brett does an amazing job with this movie because look, films like Daniel isn't real. They're complex, you know. And yeah. we are we are dealing as we were talking before with this with this film that toys with these kind of like fragments of, of time and memory. And we're going back and forth between kind of like reality and not reality and all these like visions, you know, and just different spaces. And so like, and, and and there's periods where we go through like long montages of time, you know, that, that, that feel more like fragments. And it's just basically what I'm getting at is that the, the editing of the film feels altogether like a fragmented mind yeah you know and so i think i think that i think that the editing is very well done it's not in such a way that it becomes obtrusive where you notice it too much Mm -hmm. the best editing is the type where you don't like really see it necessarily but but i think in looking at the film closely i just it stuck out to me as like man this is they did a great job with this and in presenting this really fragmented movie that doesn't feel too much so yeah like just the right amount to not lose you but make you have that sort of sensation of kind of feeling a little bit lost yeah the editing absolutely sets the tone for this whole movie yeah definitely so one last thing i want to mention before we wrap up and i'm sure that some of you listening probably knew this before i mentioned it right now and have been frustrated this whole time that i didn't mention it earlier but i was just thinking about it and i realized i didn't mention that since I brought up Jacob's Ladder, mm-hmm. what's fascinating about this and the influence of it on this movie is that the star of Jacob's Ladder is Tim Robbins, who is Miles Robbins' dad. Oh, shit! <laughs> uh, so so I find that pretty cool that they... Family legacy. Yeah, they both kind of did very similar movies. And, you know, again, I, I have to, I, I've never heard this from Adam. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I have to imagine that... Adam Egypt Mortimer doing this film that's clearly influenced by Jacob's Ladder, I have to imagine Miles is probably his first choice. <laughs> so the question becomes, who did it better? Tim Robbins or, or Miles? Uh-huh. Uh, Put admit- you on the spot. Admittedly, it's been a while since I've seen Jacob's Ladder, but I think Miles... And, and you know, they're hard to compare, I'll actually say, because Tim's role in Jacob's Ladder is much more is much more a lost and confused kind of performance. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not he's not necessarily going through the same emotional turmoil that mm-hmm. Miles is. Okay. Because this one deals very much with suicide, right? Yeah. And, and mental health issues. Jacob Slider deals a bit with that. Uh, well, actually, quite a bit of that. But it's it's done in a different way. Okay. 
you know it, it's not it's not presented in the same sort of emotional way mm-hmm. it's it's a bit different so so i I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, Miles, I, I actually like the performance of Miles better. <laughs> okay. I thought you were trying to get out of answering for a second. No, 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 no. I like Miles' performance better, but mm-hmm. I think they're both great and they're they're different. Yeah. You know, so they're hard to compare in that sense. But anyway, so I thought it was a fun fact that you should know before we wrapped up here. But so that being said, uh, that's going to do it for us on Daniel Isn't Real. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully it wasn't, hopefully it wasn't too dark. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think we were too dark, but it is, you know, a film talking about suicide. So hopefully it's, it's okay. It's a little tough. <laughs> it's a little tough to talk about. Um, But so, and, and like we said at the beginning of this month, it's going to be a dark fucking month, people. Yep. For, for some reason, imaginary friend films are just like some of the darkest horror They're movies out there. They're super depressing. Uh, and we're, we're going to be doing another one next week with Come and Play. Uh, which is another very dark movie. So, Woo! but it is good. I actually really like this one. Um, but it is very dark, so be prepared for that. Uh, although less so than this one. So. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's gonna do it for us on Daniel isn't real. So I'm Matt, and I'm Chris, and have a good night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more. Please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs> <laughs>